shotglassdigital.com. Welcome to another episode of Bad Wolf Radio, a discussion and review podcast all about Doctor Who. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Goins, and I'm here with a man who is completely ready to explain the bootstrap paradox to me, Adam Farmer. Oh, the bootstrap paradox. I'm interested to talk to you about it. I want to know how you felt about it, but heck yes, I love things exactly like that. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, give me the bootstrap paradox. (laughs) But was there too much explanation? Is it still timey-wimey when the doctor explains everything to us? Uh, that's I, Honestly, when you get to the end of the episode, and I hope that we spend some time talking about it, I'm sure we will because it's a main part of it. But when you get to the end of the, the episode and he kind of gives Clara the explanation, it still is one of those things that leaves you scratching your head. So <laughs> that aspect of it, I totally appreciated. All right, well, we will get to it. We are definitely going to review the episode Before the Flood. But before we get there, before Before the Flood, we are going to talk about some news items that have been coming out uh, in the past week or so since uh, we reviewed the last episode. So what's what's going on out there in the Doctor Who news world? Yeah, um, just things related to Doctor Who directly. There's there's not all that much. Um, one of the biggest pieces of news that I came across, and it makes me happy to see, is that John Hurt, who uh, has been, just over the past couple months, been reported that he's been battling cancer, uh, has reported that the future looks good, that cancer is in remission. Um, I loved him as the war doctor. I was kind of, I was really sad after getting my introduction to him as the, as the war doctor to hear that he was battling cancer. Um, always, always a downer when you, when you hear about something like that, but it definitely was encouraging to hear that he's come out and he said, I'm overjoyed. I'm thrilled. It looks great for the future. It's fantastic. Um, so that, that's one directly related to Dr. Who kind of in a way news item that's cropped up. So he's getting healthy. He should be ready for the uh, 55th anniversary, the return of the war doctor. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, there you go. That's great to hear. Yeah. And uh, another thing that's popped up with New York Comic Con, I know that you were there enjoying yourself, hopefully. I saw at least one picture of the TARDIS that you passed along, kind of fan service for me, which I totally appreciate since I wasn't able to be there and enjoying it on my side. But with New York Comic Con going on, and as we, uh, I think we talked about it off air last time, just how, how it's growing bigger and bigger, they shared some things about the new Marvel Netflix TV series that's coming about, Jessica Jones. And in that is none other than uh, David Tennant, the 10th Doctor. And so they just released a trailer with him appearing in one way, shape, or form. Uh, His face shows up at the end, but he has his voiceover throughout it. 
So I was pretty excited to see that. Again, very loosely related to Doctor Who, but hey, Tenet shows up in it. Yeah, one of those things that unless you're a fan of Doctor Who, you probably wouldn't even have noticed. You know, you hear a voiceover, you see a face at the end, but unless you're pretty familiar with that face, you probably wouldn't initially, you know, think, oh, that's David Tennant. It's not like his actual face. It's more uh, um, some kind of a, I don't know how you... Photo collage. Yeah, collage, like a collage that shapes itself into the face of David Tennant and his eyes. Yeah, so, but yeah, it was cool to hear his voice. Kind of interesting that he's a bad guy. I know we had talked about this before um when when they first announced that he was going to be on Jessica Jones I know we had talked about this so but yeah I, it'll be it'll be interesting to see David Tennant I know he's played villains before but um I I really like him as a good guy and as the doctor so to see him kind of as the villain will be a different a different take on him for me Yeah I I've kind of watched uh, a slight progression like I've I've known him as the doctor um, and then I watched him in Broadchurch where he's not the most upstanding citizen in, uh, Broadchurch slash Grace Point, what have you. And then I recently watched, started watching Harry Potter for the first time and saw him as a villain in Harry Potter. Um, so it, it's slowly, he's slowly getting darker and darker in my mind. And this character that he's going to be playing in Jessica Jones definitely goes, the pendulum swings all the way across to just downright evil. So I'm excited to see him show up in that. Um, and other fringe Doctor Who related news. Do you know what other trailer uh, just appeared for all of us to watch that contains a former Doctor? Former Doctor. No. I'll, okay. It, it is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is going to be starring <laughs> Matt Smith. So that that trailer just started making its rounds with yet another doctor showing up in a prominent uh, prominent location for all of fandom to uh, rush out and hope to, <laughs> hope to see him have a little bit more than what he had in Terminator. I was going to say, did you ever watch Terminator? <laughs> I haven't, but I... I haven't either, I so I have no idea... Out. Oh, oh well, I I won't spoil it for you. It's a good one, <laughs> but you haven't seen it. I haven't, but I've read all about it. <laughs> like Matt Smith's role. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. That's that's the that's what I was specifically uh, looking for, and I have to say, I was quite surprised at how how it plays out. Huh. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that. It fell off the radar for me. I'm not I'm not a big Terminator fan, anyways. I was planning on watching that one because of Smith, but I didn't really ever hear anything good about the movie, so I just never watched it. Yeah, rumor has it they're already rebooting it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But that's that's pretty much anything and everything that uh, is slightly Doctor Who related um, as far as news stories go. Um, but in light of the, the two-part series that – or two-part episodes that we just went through, um, Under the Lake and Before the Flood – with the one who wrote it being Toby Whitehouse. I wanted to snag your thoughts really quick just in regards to some of the other episodes that he wrote and your thoughts on where you would put this two-part series in relation to those other episodes. Would you be up for lending your opinion there? Sure. Cool. Okay, so here's the list of episodes that Toby Whitehouse has um, written. Yeah, for Doctor Who. There's there's not another one for Torchwood, but I'm not even going to bring that into the picture because I know that that would 
not really apply right now. We don't do Torchwood here. Yeah, we don't touch Torchwood. <laughs> okay, so number one, and this isn't in any particular order, but uh, the first episode I'm going to mention is The God Complex. Matt Smith getting chased through a old hotel by a minotaur. Remember that one? Yeah, did that also feature the uh, snivelly rodent-type alien? Uh, I believe, in a way, it did. I feel like there was a character vaguely, in that. Yeah, I'm vaguely remembering something else in the hotel that was pretty snivelly. So maybe uh, maybe Toby Whitehouse enjoys that alien species. Maybe. Possibly. Um, okay, but God Complex... Um, the next one, Vampires of Venice. Again, Matt Smith, Rory's first adventure. Um, you remember that one as well? Um, yes. Okay. Then we have School Reunion, the 10th Doctor reuniting with Sarah Jane. Okay. Okay. And then Under the Lake Before the Flood, the two episodes that we've just recently watched. Do you remember those? Just want to make sure that you remember those. <laughs> yes. Okay, and then finally, a town called Mercy. Matt Smith, uh, Western, they have the horse who prefers to be called by a different name. Do you remember that episode? Yes. Okay. And I did look it up. The Tivolians did appear in the God Complex. Oh, wow. In good, fact, I think that's the first, the first appearance by them. <laughs> the first and only appearance It by might them. actually be the only other appearance in Doctor Who by uh, this species. So. That, has, that has to be pretty fun to come up with your own species, and you're the only one that ever includes them. <laughs> it's kind of like your MO, your your fingerprint on the episode. Right. If you see a, a Tivolian, you know that Toby Woodhouse wrote that episode. <laughs> it's a big TW on that, on that episode. So, so with those episodes in mind, again, com- God Complex, Vampires of Venice, School Reunion, Under the Lake Before the Flood, and A Town Called Mercy. Just gut gut reaction. Where would you put these? in order from being uh i don't know do you want to go best to not best i'm not gonna remember the list even though you just said it um i to be honest with you none of those episodes pop out to me as any of my favorites like there's not (laughs) there's not one of those that i was like oh wow like i really enjoyed that episode so apparently toby whitehouse is not one of my favorite doctor who writers um i will say and we will talk about it the Before the Flood episode did really round out this this uh, duology, and I did feel like this actually was a pretty strong story overall. So I might actually put that at the top um, oh, wow. compared to these other ones. I did like A Town Called Mercy, and other than that, maybe the school – is it was it called School Reunion? Yep, School Reunion. Maybe next, and then Vampires of Venice, and then God Complex. Really? God Complex is at the bottom of your list. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that one. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe Vampires of Venice. That had Rory in it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll bump that one up the list a little bit. I like that. And Now that I'm thinking back on it, I did like that episode. But it's been a while since I've seen any of those. So. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they're not ones that when it's like, hey, I'm going to watch a one-off that you find yourself turning to. Right. But I think now, now that I have the the definitive list of all the episodes written by Toby Whitehouse, I feel like I need to go back and watch all of those. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. But I do see some similarities, and especially the God, God Complex. You had 
well, the Tivolians, they show up in both, <laughs> but then kind of the, the big monstrous alien, you know, also showed up in the God complex. Yeah. Uh, and you get that in before the flood. So yeah, he, he does seem to like to use some of the same themes. What, what about uh, a town called mercy with the crash landed alien that's slaughtering people. Yeah, um, and nice. then before the flood, or under the lake before the flood, you have the Fisher King who shows up, kind of crash landed, yeah, <laughs> slaughtering people. So yeah, he's got he his, like, he's got his he's, themes. Yeah, he seems to like the like one pinnacle menacing creature. Yeah, which Vampires of Venice kind of has that too. You have the creepy lady sitting on the throne. Yep, with all her fish babies that are vampires, kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one was crazy. Some good Rory Anyways, moments in that one, though. Definitely. Yeah, there's there's some solid Rory moments. But, um, so while you're talking about kind of what well, we were just talking about rewatchability of Doctor Who, and I remember back when we first started Bad Wolf Radio, one of the first things we used to do when we started an episode is we would kind of have a Hey, what have you watched lately? When it comes to Doctor Who, yeah, um, I think we were it was kind of ramping right up into the 50th anniversary. We it were was. both really high on Doctor Who at the time. I know we were both rewatching a lot of stuff, trying to familiarize ourselves with, you know, just about anything that had to do with the Time Lords and, you know, all of that stuff and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with the Ninth Doctor, Tenth Doctor, War Doctor, all that stuff. We're trying to like kind of piece it all together. So we we're doing a lot of rewatching. Yeah. Um and so but it's been a while since we've kind of done that on this show. So I'm gonna bring that back. Okay. Bring okay. this segment back. And I'm not going to call you out. I don't know what you've watched lately, but I just wanted to share something that I had recently watched. I had kind of gotten an itch for, um, you know, some classic, not classic, but older modern series stuff. And so I went back and rewatched. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm just letting you know. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> I rewatched Rose. Okay. With the, uh, the, the very first episode of modern series. Yes. Yes. And great. It was awesome rewatching that episode. <laughs> like just seeing how they first met and seeing Rose again and kind of her before she, you know, went on all her travels and stuff. Love that episode. Big- and that was one of the episodes where I like I kind of cringe when I tell people, "Oh, you should watch this new series or this series <laughs> Doctor Who." And then I know that that's going to be the first thing they see and there's the plastic people and there's Mickey and Mickey's a really bad actor at this point. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of cringing like they're not going to make it past this. But now I I go back and I watch it and I I like that episode. It, nice. <laughs> I didn't. I remembered it being a lot worse. And going back, I was like, oh, that was actually very entertaining. I love the Ninth Doctor. I miss him so much. Uh, just his quips and his sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, watch that. But then, um, I wanted to watch something from the tenth, and I came across an episode that I haven't seen. I don't know if I ever rewatched this episode. This might be the first time I ever rewatched it. And do you remember the episode Tenth Doctor called Utopia? Oh. Um some pretty is... big event happens in it. Utopia. I have like two episodes in my mind right now. I'm testing your Doctor Who knowledge. Oh live on the air. Can you tell Desc- me the general description of this episode? Describe let's see. Utopia. All right, I'll give you a hint. It does not have cat people in it. It does not. Okay. Martha is the apprentice, or the apprentice. (laughs) Martha is the (laughs) companion. Companion. Okay. And it has something to do with them going into the far future. And Captain Jack is in it. 
I, I no, no liking on this no. one. Okay, well, like yeah. I said, this is the first time I've ever rewatched it. I forgot Captain Jack was in it at all, but um, I decided to rewatch it. And this is the episode where the Doctor actually uh, rediscovers the Master for the first time in the modern series. Oh, so this is this is getting ready for. Um, oh, oh yeah, that is that is uh, yeah. So that is right after he is no longer John Smith, right? I don't and know how soon it comes after that, but it, they're it definitely in relates. the they're in the fenced off city. Yep, and there's like the cannibal crazy people. Yep, and they're all locked inside. And the master is the old dude that has the fob watch. Yeah, that... he's, he's trying to figure out how to get a rocket to launch so he can take the yes. survivors of Earth to Utopia, or not. I don't even know if they're on Earth, but the survivors of the human race. Uh, this is like way in the future. I forget how many. I think it's like trillions of years in the future. Um, yeah. So the the master kind of had the same thing going on that the doctor had, where he had the fob watch, and because they kept talking about the TARDIS and all this stuff, it kind of restarted his memory, and he he uh, became the master. Yeah. So yeah, that, it was. I have not gone back and watched that episode either. <laughs> Great episode. Uh, they talk about why Captain Jack lives forever. They show you know that that kind of came into play. Um, they actually had some. I think they did, even did some flashback stuff back to the Ninth Doctor uh, because of Captain Jack. Um, some great Captain Jack moments. Martha um, is completely jealous every time they bring up Rose's name, which I thought was hilarious. Um, so yeah, good episode. Definitely, if it's been a while since you've seen it, go check out Utopia. I think do it's they, season three of the Tenth Doctor. Do they start the um, the drums in that episode? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They're okay. they're already foreshadowing the whole drum thing. Okay. Um, and this is only the first appearance of Saxon. Is that his name, okay. Saxon? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Freaky cannibal people, fob watches. Yeah. Yeah, so I just I wanted to share that just because I know it's been a while since we've we've talked about kind of what we are watching other than just the most recent episode. Nice. So, I game on. Game on. I'm going to watch an episode, a very fringe episode and see if you if you remember it. Okay. This I'm is going to be fun. I'm up for it. We should we should start that now. Every episode, one of us will try to stump the other one with <laughs> the most obscure episode that we just watched. Yes. Although I would say Utopia with the Return of the Master, you should have known that one, Adam. I know that's not I know. obscure. I, <laughs> uh, I'm 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 bummed. I should add that. Hey, the the knowledge of episode titles is not an expectation that anyone should have on you. <laughs> right right i i think there might be some in our audience who would argue that yeah but... these guys should know every episode title <laughs> how dare they podcast in their bedrooms and talk about doctor <laughs> who for free i i i am not wrapped in a blanket right now come on <laughs> uh so all right well let's talk about this episode the one we just yeah. watched are you ready for let's, that is there any other news items that it. we missed no, I, I think we're going to move along. All right. So this Unless, is... Uh, wait, wait, wait. No, I'm, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, we, we should probably mention the very kind individual who pointed out an error um, on our Facebook page. You want to do that now? Oh, yes. Yes. I love it when people correct us. 
Okay. Please, please continue to correct us. It's it actually is uh it's it actually is reassuring that we have enough people <laughs> listening that we have somebody that's willing to correct us on stuff that we're wrong on. So uh, please continue to do it. Yeah, I totally get like it, it, I always get giddy every time I jump to our page and it's like, oh, someone someone else has commented on something. I'm I'm excited to see that. So who so who corrected us this time? Oh yeah. Oh sorry. Uh, so we had um, our discussion last episode on the center column within the TARDIS that either went whoop whoop or goes vorp vorp, um, depending on the iteration of the Doctor that you're watching. And you um, asked me what it was called. I think I said yeah. I have no idea. I just call the whole thing the console. You you just said the vorp vorp thing. What is it really called? So major props to Jeff Waddle. I, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Jeff Waddle, who kindly jumped on uh, the post for our most recent episode and let us know that it was called The Time Rotor, Um, which now that he mentions it, went ahead and uh, just double checked. And sure enough, Time Rotor is exactly what it's called. And now I know my TARDIS just a little bit better. (laughs) I love how he didn't even preface like why he was posting that in the comments of this ep- the episode post that we put out, he literally just puts, doesn't he just put time rotor? Yeah. The time rotor, the time rotor. And then yep. and that's it. So he, he knew that we would know that he was correcting us. He didn't have to give <laughs> us an explanation. Hey guys, it's called this. He just said the time rotor. Like, yep. And, and, and instantly like, we oh, both yeah, knew we're course. like, Oh yeah, that's what he's talking about. <laughs> it's a vorp vorp thing. It's a vorp vorp thing. I mean, it goes vorp vorp. <laughs> so was that your Scooby-Doo impression of uh, him saying that? So <laughs> That's the, the cowardly lion impersonation. Oh, uh, yes. No more cowardly vorp. lion impersonations, please. No. Um, yeah, so thank you, Jeff. And uh, now we can move into the actual episode review. So we have the episode Before the Flood. This is, uh, what are we at? The fourth episode? Fifth episode. Fourth episode. Fourth episode. Fourth episode of season nine of Doctor Who. This one was written by, just like we were talking about earlier, Toby Whitehouse, or it's Whithouse, it looks like. Written by Toby Whithouse, directed by Daniel O'Hara. And hey, man, this episode started out different than any other Doctor Who episode I've ever seen before. It did. We get, uh, well, to, have we to seen to it before? Point. We haven't seen it to this extent. We got pretty darn close in Listen. Where the doctor's like looking at the screen and talking to us? Yeah, no. See, that's that's where it takes a dramatic departure. Okay. But we had the same like monologue style. Yes. Um, but, but not quite breaking down that fourth wall. Yeah. That was very – like when, if, when the episode first started and the doctor is literally talking to me, it kind of threw me off. I was just like, what's happening right now? Has the episode started yet or is this some kind of like commercial, you know, about Doctor Who that I'm watching? It was just so different. We I've never seen anything like that in Doctor Who before. Maybe maybe at some point that I'm not remembering. But to have the doctor like kind of telling us a story and looking right at us, that was uh that was new. Yeah, it it's definitely it was definitely a unique way to start the episode. Um I know that there's a lot of mixed feelings on whether it was good or bad. Um personally yeah, it was a little odd, but I, I really loved the way that they went about it. I loved kind of the story that he told. Um, and, 
Yeah, I, I I really didn't mind it all that much. Did did you feel differently than that? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why I asked the question. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a little odd. Uh, it seemed like something else that is kind of Moffat's fingerprints on it a little bit as far as his style of Doctor Who and trying to be a little bit more bizarre. Uh, to have the Doctor kind of break down that fourth wall was, I don't know. I didn't really like it that much. I think my wife loved did, it. Did you at least enjoy his explanation, the story that he was telling at that point? I did. I liked the story. I felt like what he was trying to get across was the fact that, you know, he even mentions like the bootstrap paradox. And we all know with Doctor Who time travel, um, you know, it does involve some paradox stuff. Like it's never... A lot of times it doesn't make sense. Like the doctor, I, I, this this episode actually made me think of, um, uh, what is it? What were the episodes where the Pandorica stuff? Yeah. Um, it this had some very similar elements to it because totally. I remember in the Pandorica thinking, you know, okay, the doctor, you know, jump back in time to give Amy the Sonic, you know, so she would have it when they find her later, so she could get out of the Pandorica, like. But he would have never done that if this other thing didn't happen in the future. He wouldn't have even known to go back to the past, so something would happen in the future. You know, right? So yep. it's kind of he's. It was almost like we've we've seen this before. It's nothing that a Doctor Who fan isn't aware of. We all get that the Doctor kind of breaks the rules of time, and that's why we have the whole excuse of oh, it's just timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. Like we're not really supposed to understand it. Right. So we have this whole intro where it almost seemed like the entire purpose of it was for the doctor to explain that to the audience that he can break that rule. But it's like, oh, well, we already knew that. Like, he's done it a million times. So it almost seemed a little unnecessary. Maybe almost, uh, it was almost maybe put there for newer, you know, fans of Doctor Who, people that had jumped on maybe with this new doctor and kind of, it was almost like their way of saying, okay, we know that when you finish watching this episode, you're going to have all these questions on like, well... How would he have known to do this unless he had already known this, which hap- doesn't happen unless he does this, you know? So, I don't know. It ju- it did seem a little explainy. Yeah, it definitely was a little bit more explainy. I'm going to take a slightly different approach to it, though. What I what I especially loved about it is it, in a way, legitimized the 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 episode itself like it's not just some random thing that some guy thought sat down and like wrote it out and like oh yeah this would be cool like it's a valid paradox that people have approached (laughs) anybody who's been interested in time travel has approached this paradox countless times before so it's a pretty well-known um paradox that falls underneath different names what have you but it's legitimate for for individuals to think about um, it's, it's a quandary. It's a paradox. I liked that aspect of it. Like to take something that is totally sci-fi, totally out there, um, and add that, that bit of legitimate philosophy to it, I guess, if for lack of a better way of putting it, I really, I, I liked how it approached it. I love when Tenet in Blink says timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, but this to me was, I don't know, it, it was just really cool to have him put 
those words to it, a, a legitimate thing that people have discussed before. And hey, we have an entire episode that encapsulates that paradox. So you're a fan of the midichlorians. <laughs> We're not touching that. No, I'm not no, a fan of the midichlorians. <laughs> but that's really what it seemed like to me. It was kind of like we just tried to give a scientific explanation for something that we already accepted. You know, yeah, but like, it's not it's, a, it's not a scientific explanation. Like it's a it's a it's, paradox that has entered other forms of literature that has entered other discussions that revolve around time travel. Like it's not it's not saying oh this is why it happened. It's just adding a a another element to it that says yeah this isn't just something that Toby Whithouse sat down and was like oh yeah here's what happens in this episode like it's a legitimate thing that people have written about before not necessarily like so we can accept it but it just gives this bigger scope this broader picture to the context of Doctor Who so the the one thing that came up in that whole monologue at the beginning where he talks about Beethoven um, and he's telling the story and then he at, in the middle he kind of pauses and says by the way this didn't really happen Beethoven does <laughs> exist um, and then he goes on to tell the story about you know this time traveler he never you know he doesn't necessarily even imply that it's himself he's just kind of right. giving us an example um, but that kind of plays in I think toward the to the end of the episode because then it's kind of like, well, who did compose the, the Beethoven's Fifth? And then he kind of gives us a look like almost like it really was him. So maybe the story was true. What, what, what was your feeling on that whole thing? What, was he telling us a true story of something that the doctor did? Is the doctor Beethoven? I, I feel like this is another question very similar to, was there someone under the blanket and listen? I don't think they no, that's particularly... Definitive. <laughs> 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 I, I'm... From my point of view, <laughs> I think it's similar in that like they leave it open for you to make, basically make the decision themselves. Because like you said, he's having that discussion. He stops midway through and he says that he this didn't really happen. And then he holds up Beethoven's bust next to his head and like he strikes a similar pose to it to kind of give the impression that, oh, Maybe it was the doctor. And then he goes on to say, oh, well, he, he was a great arm wrestler, what have you. But, yeah, it's it's that idea of maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Not really sure. It kind of leaves it open for us to make that decision ourselves. I know you say that there was someone under that sheet. I'm always going to say there really wasn't a kid under that sheet. It was something else. You might say that he wasn't Beethoven. You know what? I might say he is Beethoven. It, it feels like it's totally open at that point. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's a fun story nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun story. Um, I almost would have preferred, even if they had done similar to what they did in the episode, the other episode where he was kind of walking around and talking to himself but never actually ref- like looking at the camera. Yeah. If they had kind of done that same style where he was talking to himself, maybe, you know, I don't know. It just the fact that he was speaking directly to the audience was different enough um, than anything they've done before that it was a little. It was just a little odd for me. I know you're totally not alone. I just reading through thoughts and reviews of the episode, um, trying to grab the general pulse of what other people are saying. Other people mentioned something similar, like it would have been neat if they would have taken the listen approach, where he was just talking to himself, or 
what happens if they save that entire discourse for the end of the episode and instead of doing it to us he does it for clara yeah um like what if they were just to move it what one individual and i really wish i could uh remember who exactly the the name of the individual that wrote the the post i was reading what he ended up saying was in a way it kind of pulled the rug out from underneath you as you got started because it gave you that idea of, oh, that's going to be what this entire episode is about as opposed to at the end kind of offering up that explanation. He said that it foreshadowed too much of the episode. Yeah. Like you kind of you kind of expected from that point forward that the episode was going to follow the exact same theme, which, which makes a lot of sense. Um, that said, the way that they went about it, I have to say, I, I really liked how the episode turned out. So I don't know if it ruined the episode for me at that point. Okay. Well, I guess um, the intro music was different this time too, which I didn't pick up on the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, I picked up on it. I guess they it had much more of an electric guitar um, you know, sound to the intro. Capaldi which, can shred. Which apparently, yeah, I guess Capaldi, from what I read, is actually the one who played that. Yeah, I'm, I I told you, he, he was in a punk band. And guess who else was in the punk band with him? Craig Ferguson. Did you know that? In the same Craig band? Ferguson. Yes, they were in a band together. And they're both huge Doctor Who fans. They're um, both huge Doctor Who fans. Wow. But, I mean, it, how much of this is just, uh, you know, Capaldi went into Moffat's office one day and was like, hey, I can play the electric guitar. Um, <laughs> can I get a scene where I'm on a tank? <laughs> yes. playing the guitar because i really want to show off that place and then i want another scene where i play beethoven's fifth on the guitar like you know and then moffitt wrote entire storylines around this conversation <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised that's i feel like that's one of the benefits of being the doctor i i can see like tenant walking into the office of the showrunner and being like you know what i have these 3d glasses i would love to be able to pull them out at some point or uh, yeah, tenant. I I have a fez. Can I wear a fez at some point? Smith, yeah. Like, yeah, Smith. It, it, I kind of feel like each of them now just takes that liberty to be like, hey, I would really like to have this as a part of my character. Well, I know that that's not too far off as far as some of the wardrobe, um, you know, choices. I know Smith had a, played a big part in choosing his own wardrobe um, as far as how the doctor would dress, and I believe Capaldi has had some pretty big say in the way his doctor dresses. So, um. Which is kind of cool. It gives unique personality to each doctor, but it also uh, fits with the the actor's, you know, own yeah. style. So it doesn't seem as off. You know, it's like, oh, well, it actually works well because that actor probably would dress like that on their own. Right, right. So, well, yeah. So that's you know, it. I was kind of knocking on it. It actually wasn't that bad of an intro for me. I, I liked the story itself. Um, I thought it was interesting. It just uh, the the execution of it was a little different. Uh, than maybe I was expecting, but um, yeah, I'm wondering if we're going to see more. Like now that that wall has been knocked down, I wonder if it's going to be a common theme or if this was just a one-off. Hmm. Or maybe like this specific doctor, because we know he likes to talk to himself. Yeah, uh, will have more of that kind of stuff. Whereas another future doctor maybe will never do it. Uh, maybe it'll be a specific to the twelfth doctor. Um, but yeah. I will have to say, once we get to the scene where they're they're getting off the TARDIS. Uh, with uh, Bennett, O'Donnell, and the Doctor. Um, it was a breath of fresh air to me, no pun intended, as they were <laughs> walking out of the TARDIS. 
I like to see them off of that base. I felt like the it was just so confining. You, it's obviously they're on a set. You know, I like to see this. You know, when they're actually out in you know open air and you know buildings and um, just everything about it just looked better to me, and I love. Well, that. yeah, let's let's just talk about it. It was really. I, I similar similar to what you're saying it felt like it freed it up a lot more it felt like it was yeah that they were right where they ought to be it was really cool to have o'donnell and bennett off the tardis it was i, I really liked that scene where o'donnell made the mention of um one one giant step or one small step for man one giant leap for blah, yeah. making fun of bennett and then even how she kind of faked the doctor out and was like, "Oh, let me let me fix something." And so the doctor walks off, and then she geeks out about the TARDIS. I that whole interaction there really, I don't know, really got me liking O'Donnell even more. Like I appreciated yes. her in the first episode, and that that submit. I do this all the time. I was like, "She's the next companion. She's gonna <laughs> travel with the doctor. It's cemented. She she's gonna be there." You're almost never right. I know. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm never right. I, there's no almost about it. it You've never, never gotten happened. that right. No. You never. You didn't say that about Souffle Girl. Oh, I. I or did well, we, we already know at that yeah, point? We knew that. Okay. Uh, but well, we even got a mention of uh, Rose and Martha. I think Donna as well, right? Yeah. Where she says, "I I don't imagine that you know either of those three would have had that same reaction where you know Bennett did, but." Uh, and the doctor kind of like gives her this look like, how much do you know about me? So I always, I think it's cool whenever they, they reference these older characters. Uh, so I like that. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, he, he did ask how much you know about me. And she mentions that she used to do intelligence for unit. Um, and that's how she kind of got up to speed on the doctor. And then she hung someone out the window. She, she, she became a character. Yeah. At this this point in time. It's not like like they gave her an entire backstory, but they gave you just enough about who she was that really made you start to enjoy her as a character. I kind of wish they had kind of thrown some of that stuff at us in the first episode um, about maybe that whole where she said she had hung somebody out a window, you know, and then the doctor's like, well, were you angry? And she's like, well, is there any other way to hang somebody out a window? <laughs> like that is what I needed in the first episode. You know, lines like that from these characters that make me like these characters. You know, oh, yeah. she she's got a, she's got a great sense of humor. She's you know a big fan of the Doctor. She, you know, like she's you know she's a strong, independent woman. Like these type of things, I would have loved to see from her in the first episode. So I would have already cared about her. Um, but the good thing about this episode is it did start to give some of these characters that really didn't have much of personality uh, really started to to you know, have that personality developed. Um, not just, not just her, not just O'Donnell, but we got to see, you know, Bennett with much more emotion. We got to see, um, Cass and what's the other guy's name? Lun. Lun. Um, you know, they, they had some pretty big parts. So like across the board, I was happy to see that all of these characters became characters that I was interested in and actually cared for, uh, when things happened to them. Yeah, it's almost like the first episode they just narrowed the field. Um and by the time the episode was ending, they didn't have time to then capitalize on the smaller group, even though it's really not all that much smaller as we start out on before the flood. But 
maybe separating them, getting the doctor and Clara separated so that they can each individually work with the two. Um, they add an interesting dynamic, even with doctor and Clara separated. Um, when you're talking about the other two individuals that both of them are with, because both in a way help to bring out character elements of Claire and the doctor themselves. Um, it's, it, it was really good to see those characters come to life a little bit more. Um, yeah, definitely. It was fun to, fun to see them developed. So we get to meet Prentice, who is the Tivolian, uh, who we see as one of the first ghosts, but now we get to see him in his live form. Um, kind of an annoying character, uh, but I think that's the way he's supposed to be. Uh, uh, a proper idiot. Yeah, definitely. According they use that term a lot. They use the word idiot a lot in these two episodes. <laughs> they do. I noticed that's another. that might be another Toby Whithouse thing. If you're, if you're watching a Toby Whithouse episode, you know you're watching it because... It's going to have a Tivolian in it, and they're going to use the word idiot a lot. It's like, it was like even Clara calls herself an idiot during this episode. This uh, Bennett calls um, Prentice an idiot. The last episode, the doctor called the oil guy an idiot. Like they just Pritchard? That, yeah, that's a word they like to use a lot. But yeah. Um, yeah, so we get to meet him. He is, you know, funeral director. No, what what did what did he call himself? Some sort of a Maybe yeah, he's, did he uh, say funeral director? Yeah, pretty sure they said funeral director. Okay, so he so the spaceship is a hearse. Um, he is, you know, I guess they had been invaded by this guy's alien species, and part of the tradition is that he was going to bury him in some remote place, which ended up being Earth. Um, some remote outpost, which yep. was Earth. So, so that's and we're starting to get some explanation for some of this stuff, um, but. Eventually, they, the Doctor and um, O'Donnell and Bennett go... Why did they leave the ship? I forget now. Uh, so they oh, so the doctor went back can go to talk contact to Clara. Clara. That's right. Yep. Okay. But, um, which he FaceTimed her, which was awesome. But yeah, so let's kind of talk a little bit about the Fisher King himself. So we get the yeah. Fisher King. He, he gets out of his mummy wrap and he kills Prentice. So now we know why Prentice is a ghost. Um, and then the doctor, he basically, you know, chases down the doctor and his, his, uh, his friends here. But unfortunately O'Donnell decides to split up, which was kind of weird. (laughs) She's like, let's split up. And then, uh, you know, I think we (laughs) all knew. And then Bennett tried to like slow down to go with her. And she's like, just keep going, Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we all kind of knew her fate when, uh, she split off on her own. But what did you think about the Fisher King? We get, you know, we get to see him little glimpses of him at first, but then we get to see him, um, you know, in in all his glory. What did you think about that alien design? Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was one of the better ones that we saw. It still looked like there was something underneath <laughs> everything that we saw was the Fisher King, but it was very easy for me to look at that and be like, oh yeah, they're just like pieces of armor that they strap on themselves. I think I even said it last episode that it seemed very much Predator-esque the, from the Predator movies. Um, and even they, like, they have their mask and armor and stuff like that. So I, I guess that's how I thought of the Fisher King. He's definitely huge. He's definitely intimidating. Um, his voice was awesome. His roar was awesome. 
Uh, I would say it's probably one of the better designs that we've seen here recently outside of uh, Colony Sarf, which was just incredible, but that was a lot of CGI. I kind of wish that they had left him a little bit more mysterious and not shown him, you know, just... In full full light? Yeah, right. Like, maybe give us glimpses of him. Like, I like how they had him walking down the hallway and you just see him through the window. Uh, maybe show us some shadows of the character. But once he did get into full light, it did take away from the effect for me. Because maybe it's just because I was just at Comic-Con, but it just looked like some really good cosplay. Like it was just it looked like a guy that had a big suit on um which you know par for the course when it comes to doctor who uh typical doctor who monsters uh do look like that but i don't know something about this one just even the way he moved and it just it very much felt like a costume um and not this big intimidating monster um that i kind of got that feeling when he was more in the shadows but once we got to see him out in the open, it was just like, eh. And the Doctor didn't seem I, that intimidated by him either. Really? I, I thought Capaldi played pretty well being... I mean, we have we have scenes where he's like backing up and essentially having to strain his neck to see the Fisher King face-to-face or eye-to-eye or what have you. Um, I thought they did a good job of at least adding... Usually the Doctor is like up in their face and just like spinning around, even if he's just feigning being frightened. Um, I mean, look how he approached the ghosts in the first episode. He like walks right up to him. He, he's not at all intimidated or frightened by him. This one, he seemed a little bit more hesitant, which I appreciated. Um, what did you, so, so the, the costume totally understandable on that one. I, I could agree with you there that having him left a little bit more in the shadows, what do you think as far as the the portrayal, the the conversation between the Fisher King and the Doctor? Um, well, like you were saying before, you liked the voice. I did like the voice a lot. The roar was great. Um, all of that stuff was intimidating. Um, the conversation itself was interesting. I still don't think I'm very clear on what the ghosts are. I know that was one of your seven questions for me last episode. Are we going to find out? I think it was. Are we going to yeah. find out what the ghosts are? And I was I was very sure that we were going to get an explanation, but I still don't feel like we got an explanation. I think, you know, it wasn't very clear. You know, was it really? Were they really ghosts? Was because the doctor did refer to it as their souls were ripped from them, and he was kind of scolding this Fisher King, like you know, you've done worse than messing with time. You've you've messed with yeah. the rules of life and death. Um. So I was like, oh, wow, like, is Doctor Who actually bringing, like, a spiritual element into the show? Because they always have a scientific explanation for everything. And this is the first time the Doctor actually referred to people's souls. Right. So... I think it, I think the closest we got to it is they called them electromagnetic um, projections. But that's... That's, like, the the only thing that we got as far as an explanation for what they are. Okay. Yeah, so I was a little unclear on that. Like, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more of an explanation as to, you know, I got the whole idea that they were, you know, the whole purpose of them was to repeat the coordinates, and they're trying to get his, I guess he's trying to get his army, you know, yeah. to come there. Uh, I got that part of it, but it was kind of like, well, what what are they, you know? <laughs> like, right? why do they have hollowed-out eyes? You know, why do they look like people that died? Like, why... When O'Donnell died, like, why did her ghost go all the way back 
or all the way to the future. You know, why didn't she, why wasn't her ghost in the present in 1980? Um, right. Some of those things were just kind of like things I kept scratching my head about like, Oh, I guess we're not going to really get an explanation for some of these things. Yeah. I, we definitely didn't get an explanation. They left it pretty, pretty wide open as, as far as like where all of that, comes or where all of that originated what it meant how they were made those questions were asked in the episode um one of the very first scenes with the doctor and um prentice is he's grabbing prentice and he's like how do how do you make these um because i want to take the batteries out of it like (laughs) the questions are asked but no answers are given we're just left with the lingering questions of where they are i'm yeah, I think that's I think that's just what we have. He's the doctor. He gives <laughs> yeah. his cup of tea. Deal with it. Right. Deal with it. Accept I mean, it. I was on board with this episode actually. I liked um I liked where they were going with it. I liked the timey wimey stuff. Uh you know, there's little details here and there that I was that you know, I'm always going to be nitpicky about little things, you know, just cuz it's something to talk about. But um you know, I did really like what they did with this episode. I thought it was a cool setting. I did start to really like the characters. Um, the Fisher King, you know, I, the idea of it was cool. I didn't necessarily like the costume that much. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I really did like what they did, even though I'm being a little nitpicky with some of the details. Um, overall, it was a it was a good Doctor Who story. What about, what about Clara's portrayal um, through this? So we have it starting out, like, the first instance of Clara, she's sitting there and Lun comforts her. How would you, how would you, you've been through this a lot. How would you comfort someone in, in your situation? Well, tell them that they're going to be okay. And then we have a freaking out on the phone telling the doctor, you can die with your next companion, which is interesting. Like she admits that there's going to be a next companion and <laughs> that the doctor can go ahead and die with it. Um, and then we have her being willing to risk Lud's life in the Faraday cage being like, oh yeah, this, this should work. Go 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 out and cast starts freaking out at her like how when have you become so callous why do you play with people's lives how do you feel about how clara was portrayed through this episode just the same i mean it's clara to me i think every everything that about her how emotional she got with the doctor almost like a selfishness you know like how dare you like leave me you can leave anyone else but not me like i'm clara you know like do you not understand i should be your favorite um i think that it just all really fits with her personality and do you think she's changing at all do you think that this is any change whatsoever or do you think this is the same claire that we've had since i guess capaldi showed up i think i do feel like it's different uh, different claire from what smith had but yeah i think is it the same claire we've had for all of capaldi ever since she showed or ever since capaldi showed up They've really tried to portray Clara in a certain way, um, you know, kind of stuck on herself, uh, super confident, um, and I think that just she's continuing to play it that way. So everything I saw from her in this episode was, you know, what I would expect, even the kind of outburst stuff, um, the the willingness to kind of put somebody in harm's way because she thinks she knows what to do. Um, yeah, that's Clara. <laughs> <laughs> But um, some of the other characters, so we talked about the characters uh, that were with the Doctor, but the characters that were with the Clara, we have Lun and Cass. Um, 
And I think we had talked last episode about how Cass was maybe the most interesting of the people. I thought this episode she even stepped it up. You know, I, I liked how she called Clara out on that. I liked that she was showing, you know, her concern for for her friend in Lunn. Um, I really liked Cass a lot. She she was maybe my favorite character of the crew. Yeah, I I would agree. And if there's any if there's any part of these two episodes that actually had me concerned, had me slightly I don't know, scared is not the right word, but that's the word I'll use. Slightly scared. It was when Cass was by herself walking down the hallway. I thought that was just such an incredible scene where things go pretty quiet until Moran, they show Moran dragging the axe behind her. And like, I was, I was, I was a little bit concerned there until she reaches down, she touches the floor, she feels the vibrations, and then she turns around and books it. I thought that was probably the most nerve wracking um scene of both of these episodes i know like it was supposed to be a scary episode a scary two episodes from start to finish it never really had me scared or concerned or nervous except for that one point uh at that one point i thought that was just a solid way to portray it she definitely definitely a highlight from both of these two episodes props to the actress that played her um props to how they portrayed the character um, it was it was really fun to watch. Definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about kind of the what happens in this episode. In the yeah, you know, did you get it? Did you kind of follow it? Did you have to watch it more than once? Did you did you only understand it after the doctor's explanation? Did you see it coming? Um, so we have the doctor, and we have that stasis chamber, and. At what point in the episode did you kind of pick up on the fact that he was going to be the one in there? Um, when he wasn't on the TARDIS, when the emergency protocol kicked in, and then they went to the stasis chamber in the underwater base. Honestly, really? for some reason, my mind never jumped there. Never went there. I never y- went there. Usually you're until better at picking that stuff up. Was, until it opened, and then I was like, oh, it's the Pandorica. Yeah, right. Um that's funny. Yeah, usually you're better at picking up that stuff. I usually kind of get caught up in the episode and don't catch some of the, the hints or subtle or not so subtle hints. But I think for me it was when he was talking to the Fisher King and the Fisher King like backs him up right up against the stasis chamber, almost like he's about to fall into it. Uh-huh. And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, wait, what if the doctor goes, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, that that to me, I started thinking about that early enough that when it started actually, you know, when everything started to go down at the end, I was like, okay, the doctor, that's how the doctor survives this. He's going to be in the stasis chamber from, you know, 1980 until whenever, I guess 150, (laughs) add add another 150 years to the doctor's life. With his uh, sonic sunglasses connecting to the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, um, so he's the one, he actually is in the stasis chamber. He uses the TARDIS to save Bennett, which we were kind of talking about last time, how the doctor from time to time, the TARDIS will leave the doctor. Um, if it, you know, if the doctor kind of, you know, uses it to save someone. So he did it again here, but yeah. So the doctor is actually the one in the stasis chamber. He comes out the, I kind of, 
missed it the first time I watched it as far as like when he explains the um the hologram yeah I was kind of like wait what like how did he even how did the hologram even get there you know because the doctor was still back and then I was like oh yeah he was in the stasis chamber the whole time yeah and so I guess the explanation was as soon as they brought the stasis chamber onto the ship that the wi-fi of course picked up through the you know through the walls of the stasis chamber and uh the sonic sunglasses are is the reason why it was able to project right i mean it's a pretty darn good control over that projection you know (laughs) the thing was you know it stayed out in the water it came inside it hung out with the other ghosts it actually released the ghosts from the faraday chamber which uh i didn't realize a hologram could push buttons yeah. Um, but I guess he did. He explain. I think he said a hologram with and some other kind of protocol or something that he did. So I think we were just supposed to kind of nod our heads and be like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> deal with it. Drink your tea. <laughs> you know that's yeah. gonna that's gonna be the new thing now. Like it's Doctor Who. Just deal with it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just accept it. You don't need a good explanation. Just accept it. <laughs> that's I, I, I. This is where. This is the thing about Doctor Who that I just absolutely love. I love the circles that it gets you thinking in. And I love that at the end of the day, no matter how hard you try, you can't explain it. Um, Because you have two doctors. Essentially, you have the exact same doctor in the underwater base at the exact same time. Because there's one outside of the stasis chamber. There's one in the stasis chamber. You have the doctor at the end saying like... He he only knew what to do because it had already it had already been done, and that's the only reason why he did it in the first place. But he him saying that he didn't change the future, he just modified it. So at one point was there like at one point was there really a ghost, or had it always been the hologram, or was it a ghost up until the point where? the doctor ended up modifying the future by being in the past. Does that make any sense? Like <laughs> at what point? So yeah, <laughs> I, it's well, just, I love that aspect of it. I love that paradox that you can't get the answer to, but you can go round and round trying to think through like, Oh, I love yeah, it. I love it's it just too. So fun. I, I mean, the Pandorica stuff is some of my favorite doctor who, and I loved, I actually loved the way they did it in the Pandorica more than this i liked you know kind of the smith way of handling things and kind of bumbling around and he's got the broom or the mop and you know he's got a fez on he's got to remember oh like oh wait you know he's talking to rory and he's like wait and he he all of a sudden disappears and he shows back up you know so he because he forgot to to leave i forget what it was i think he forgot to leave the sonic or something you know just he the way he played it and just the jumping back and forth i enjoyed more uh than capaldi's version of this where it's very cocky and arrogant like where he's explaining it to to clara at the end almost like look how smart i am you know wait you're missing the point you know like she's she's kind of catching on he's like wait but you're missing something because i'm smarter than you you know it's that version of the doctor is just kind of like come on man we get it see i i get that you're smart I, i totally took it the other way with it though like as he's explaining it I got the impression that he even thought it was a bit of a, a mystery, like that he didn't know exactly how it happened, other than the fact that it did happen. Um, because I, I, I can't, I can't remember exactly how he puts it, but like 
he mentions, I wouldn't have known to do that unless you would, or if you wouldn't have told me that the ghost appeared, but the only way that I would have known that the ghost appeared or yeah, to have the ghost there or the hologram there is if you would have told me. So it, it, to me, it seemed like in Matt Smith's instance, he was very much like orchestrating all of it. Like he had some control of it. He was putting everything in place so that it would happen how he wanted it to happen. And this one, it seemed like even to the doctor, it was still a mystery. The whole idea of there was no Beethoven, but the guy brought the sheet music back with him. So he became Beethoven. But who composed the, the sheet music in the first place? Who really composed the Fifth Symphony? Um, that idea of like you'll never know it just happened um i felt like they played it more played more towards the mystery of it still at the end with capaldi hmm. i f- i just felt like i missed something at the very end when he kind of explain he's he does the whole beethoven's fifth line and then they kind of do this camera angle where yeah, he's he looking like, down on us which yeah like perfect, he raises his eyebrows like oh what what really happened here it's a perfect angle or it's a perfect camera angle to have the doctor at to look down on us because that's how that all came across to me it's like <laughs> it's very much like you know he's talking down to us simple humans because we don't get it but um yeah i i kind of when he says that at the end and then him and claire kind of give each other these knowing look i was like did i miss something like what they didn't really explain it. They no. Just, they were I, kind of just I, hinting at it, but it was almost like Clara had this reaction, like she got it, but I still was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's the whole, like, that's where the opening part of it comes into play mm-hmm. is because at the end, you're supposed to ask those exact same questions. Like, well, how would he have had the hologram there if Claire wouldn't have told him, but how would have Clara have told him if the hologram wasn't already there? Like, how would right, he right. have been able to have the sheet music if Beethoven didn't exist to then have him go back and get have the sheet music? Right. It's supposed to be that massive circle. Um, I think I would have liked I, it better if kind of like, you know, I keep comparing this to the Pandorica stuff, but Matt Smith never stopped to explain it. It just happened. Yeah. You know, they it did happened. it. It happened. We accepted it. We loved the timey-wimey stuff. And I feel like with this episode – they tried to explain too much. I would have liked them to just leave out the whole Beethoven stuff, leave out the end where he's, you know, bragging about, you know, how smart he is and just just let the episode play out and let us as viewers because we are smart enough, you know, believe it or not, we are smart enough to kind of notice some of these things and question them and rewatch it and try to figure it out ourselves um without having them to to really heavily handily, you know, spoon feed us like hey just in case you didn't notice there's a paradox here (laughs) that's why i love talking to you about these episodes because yeah i i i took that like totally different um yeah that's fun to hear your perspective on it (laughs) the the jaded perspective perspective (laughs) they like fans like you better (laughs) <laughs> but I, I continue to I, watch it's uh because i love it and i love this i did really like this two-parter i thought it you know i kind of feel bad at how harsh i was on the first part because the second part did round it out and uh overall it was a, a really cool story um i did really like it you know so see just, that that was gonna be that was gonna be a question like was this episode enough to rescue the first episode 
I just feel like they need to be watched together. I would never, I would hope never, no one would ever have to watch that first one on its own. Um, you know, I think as one big story, if you just watch them back to back, it's, it's, it works. It's great. But that, um, that first episode definitely doesn't stand on its own. Do you think that this could have all been done in one episode? No, no, I don't think so. I think too much, too much happened. I'm glad it was two episodes. Um, and like I was saying earlier, I kind of wish maybe some of the, the character development had come a little earlier. So it wouldn't have felt so, the first episode wouldn't have felt so bland. Um, but all in all, I thought it worked pretty well. Um, you know, some little nitpicky stuff here and there, but I love the timey-wimey stuff. I love Pand- I love the Pandorica stuff, so I'd like to see that element back. Um, you know, I I preferred Smith's way of doing it as opposed to Capaldi, but I still did really like this this episode. So we have two two-parters so far. We have the Magician's Apprentice, the Witch is Familiar, and then uh, Under the Lake and Before the Flood. Which two-parter would you take first in this series? Which one did I like better? Yep. Huh. Uh, I'd say I, I still like the first two better. I like the, the Davros stuff and uh, Missy and all that. Um, it was a stronger story overall. Okay. Well, next next episodes, we have Maisie Williams, another two-parter. And something tells me there's going to be yet another timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly element uh, to these two to to these two episodes as well, so it should be fun to see what happens. Are we going to get an opening monologue where the Doctor explains to us where Vikings came from? <laughs> I don't know. We might need an explanation to find out where these Vikings came from. Goodness, the guy the guy has a robotic eye, and they have the best soldiers in the galaxy showing up. So I'm still crossing my fingers that it's the same group of Vikings from the from the uh, first Doctor <laughs> stuff. And the monk is going to be involved somehow. I'm uh, I'm waiting for the monk. I'm waiting for the monk. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it sounds like um, you you liked this episode maybe more than I did. Did you? I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions here. Did you enjoy this episode? I I did enjoy this episode. Where I would slightly differ is I don't know if it was enough to rescue the first episode for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still. I don't know that first episode. We kind of, I, I don't, yeah, we kind of mentioned it um, towards the end. Like, it just didn't give me anything to be excited about, but it didn't give me anything to be down on. It was just flat. Um, this episode definitely gave me a lot more to be excited about. But if I have to watch these two episodes together, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever, if, if I'll want to rewatch these anytime soon. Maybe um, you just, because you kind of know what happens in the first episode. You can kind of just fast forward through it. (laughs) Right. And and I had that thought, like, could I just watch this second episode as a standalone? And I think that might be how I have to approach it because this, this second episode had enough in it where I don't, I don't think I'd go back and watch the first part of it. Um, I I'm usually not the one that's down on an episode so hard, but it, (laughs) It was rough. It really was. So but, I, I loved, I loved this episode. I loved um, a lot of different elements of it. The whole bootstrap paradox. Yeah, that's that's. I loved it. He he said Google it. He did all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know if it was enough to rescue the first part of it. Yeah. So I'm watching the second episode uh, with my wife, 
and she listens to Bad Wolf Radio, like you know, like a good wife. <laughs> um, she she supports me and things, but uh, she she listens to the show. She thinks it's you know funny how much I tend to complain about things, and so <laughs> when <laughs> when the episode ended, she she looked at me. And she, cause she knew she could see it in my eyes with the whole doctor explaining things. And I'm kind of sitting there like, uh, and she just looked at me and said, Aaron, you cannot rip this episode apart. It was a good episode. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I'm like, I liked it. I liked it. And she's like, you don't look like you liked it. <laughs> so. uh, I, I'm telling you one, one episode we need to have both your wife and my wife on. <laughs> yeah. That could be fun. It'll be our guest stars. Uh, so. Seven questions for you. Okay. Wow. The tables have been turned. <laughs> so, um, did you... Same same rules that apply? Yeah, yes or no. Okay. I need to prep myself. One second. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready. To be honest, I'm actually just coming up with these on the fly. I did not have this prepared. <laughs> 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 oh nice I was, I was wondering like you started out really slow there like you had no idea what you were going to say <laughs> uh, okay I'm ready so with the a character called the Fisher King did you wonder why there were no fish <laughs> <laughs> yes or no no, no. no. Did... I think about it it makes no sense <laughs> to, um <laughs> Did you get emotional when Lun admitted his love for Cass? No. You have no heart. Um, did I, I you? I want to say I got angry, but I can only say yes or no. <laughs> did you feel bad when Bennett was looking at O'Donnell at the end, and he was looking at the uh, woman that he lost? Did you get emotional with that? Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um. At any point, did you think of Danny Pink? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you think Clara will make it to the end of the season? No. How many questions have I asked? That's five. That's five. Maybe I just have five questions. <laughs> I can't think of two more. I'll give you two more. Okay. I, I will ask you two more just to round out the, these seven questions. Are we going to find out who the Ministry of War is? Yes. Okay. And were you bummed when O'Donnell died? Yes. Okay. There we go. We have seven questions. <laughs> Great. Perfect. Um. Uh, and were the mannequins in the buildings the freakiest thing about the episode? No, but I did think about the mannequins because I just watched the episode Rose. <laughs> nice. And I was like, oh, wait, the plastic people are coming back. <laughs> the Fisher King has brought them. Uh, so are we ready to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think we are. All right. So as usual, you can leave us a review on iTunes if you enjoy our show and you haven't left us a review yet. We'd love for you to head over there and leave us a nice five-star review. If you want to contact us by email... You can do that, badwolfpodcast at gmail.com. Um, keep sending us messages on Facebook, too. We've been getting a lot of those lately, mostly correcting things that we're wrong about. Please continue to do that. We actually really like it. 
Um, you can find us on Facebook, Bad Wolf Radio, Twitter, at Bad Wolf Podcast, and you can find us on the Shot Glass Digital Network. That's where we post all of our new episodes, uh, so you can find us over there, too. And until next time, later days! Later days!